0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab episode 825 for Monday, July 20th, 2020. <laughs> uh, greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, we mash them all together into an agenda. And then we follow that agenda with some tangential detours here and there. Learning all sorts of stuff because the goal is for each of us to learn at least 5 new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include a new sponsor raycon.com/mgg actually buy raycon.com/mgg. Uh, and then of course, lino.com slash MGG and sunsoil.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about each of those in, uh, in a little bit here during the episode for now here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: And here in sweltering, it's already
0: 90 degrees, uh, Fairfield, Connecticut. This is John F. Yeah, It's crazy how, uh how how i mean it's i guess it's how it always works in new england right we get we get a period of hot weather and then it rains like crazy and and the temperature drops and the humidity drops and it's like 70 and crisp and cool and perfect and then it heats back up and you know here we are again so let's go find water safely distantly and and you know bask in it <laughs> so there you go yeah all right we got some uh we have all kinds of things to talk about today we've got Quick tips and cool stuff found, and we're going to talk about repairing iCloud syncing. I've been learning a lot about that, unfortunately, uh, this week, but I feel like I'm on the other side of it, so we'll talk some about that and, uh, and you know, backing up things and all the stuff that we talk about. So we will start with a quick tip from listener Robin, who says, uh, if you right-click on the folder next to the radio buttons at the top of the Finder, you will get a list of parent folders to choose from. And this is absolutely true. So uh, really what we're talking about is in the sort of title bar in the Finder, There's you've got over on the left, you've got the radio buttons, which are the, the red, yellow, green. And then in the middle of that, it shows you the name of the folder that you're on. And if you control click on that folder you see the hierarchy that leads to that folder from the very top of the computer. And the nice part is you can navigate through that hierarchy. So if you want to go up a level or up three levels, or even just see where you are, that's how you can do it. Now, if you like to know where you are at all times, go into the finder and say uh, in the view menu, choose show path bar. And that will show you at the bottom of the finder window, the path to whatever uh, folder you're in right there. And yes, you can click on the, I think you have to double click. Yeah. Double click on the uh, items in that path bar to go up there as well. So multiple quick tips rolled into one fun, right? John? Yeah, I know. I love this kind of stuff. You got any more to add to that? Nope.
1: No, I know about that one, but it's uh,
0: good to revisit. It is good. Yeah. (laughs) Especially if
1: you get lost. In the (laughs) depths of the file system.
0: Yeah, yeah. Having those breadcrumbs helps for sure. Yep. Uh, All right, then we'll move on to Peter who has another quick tip for us. Peter says, "Uh, I just set up a new MacBook Air and I'm doing all of the tweaks that I'm used to. I want to say that one thing I can't live without is the double tap to drag setting on my trackpad. This allows in either text or to uh, get a rectangular selection me to double tap then hold on the beginning then drag and then release to form a selectable region i feel it's so much easier and now that i'm used to it intuitive than holding a second digit down while dragging but to get it set up you have to do things a little differently you go to system preferences accessibility pointer control mouse and trackpad tab then trackpad options and then check the enable dragging with drag lock box. And uh, he's got a uh, an explanation for us as by way of an Apple support article that we will absolutely put in the show notes here. But uh, but yeah, that's a, I've, I had no idea about this. This is yet another one of those things. We always say, take a look in accessibility for interesting little features. I mean, they are built to help people that have you know various issues with with one or more of their senses or whatever, but um, or or appendages or however it goes. But uh, but they be, they can be things that can make life more convenient for all of us in different ways because none of us are the same. So yeah, it's pretty good. I I like it. He says uh, it may be hard to get used to at first, but in the long run. I, he says I, I find it very nice he says but I haven't been able to convince my wife that it's a better way to go though and it may not be for her right like that's the reality of this stuff is is um, it's nice to be able to customize things and that's what really what accessibility um, n- n- sort of offers is all these little nitpicks of customization that Apple doesn't want to clutter up the you know mouse or trackpad tab or or any of the tabs with but it's like yeah this would be a good thing to have for one of a variety of reasons so I like it Pretty good. Any thoughts on that one, John? No. Okay. Um let's go to some cool stuff found, you know, we're always here talking about home uh, HomeKit and uh, and just smart home in general. And one of the problems with HomeKit of course is that most certainly at the beginning of all of this, it was very difficult for accessories to join HomeKit because you, you actually needed, basically needed special hardware inside of your, uh, accessories in order to support HomeKit. So there was no way to retroactively make things work. Apple has, has backed off on that quite a bit. It was all in the name of security. It wasn't like they were out to make intentionally make it difficult for people, but they were out to intentionally make it super secure. And, um, and that caused some, some headaches for folks. But they've made life a little bit easier, but it's still not quite there. It doesn't have as much as, say, that, you know Amazon A lady or Google um, uh, G person. I, I guess you can have either one of them to be male or female voices. I, anyway, uh, however, there are lots of different solutions that we've talked about here, and there's a new one that well, new one to us that listener Tom says. What do you think about the Hoobz project? Hoobs project? H O O B S. And it's at hoobs.org and it's called hoobs in a box. And, uh, and it's built to aggregate all like, you know, they say that they support over a thousand devices or something. It's built to aggregate them all into a, uh, into your home kit scenario. So it's just this box you plug into your network and then it sort of does all the hard work and advertises all of your non HomeKit kit things as home kit things so that you can have one place to go to sort of manage everything. I got to check this out because I, you know, um, if it'll support like the wise stuff, the way that I want it supported, it might solve my age old. I want motion in my garage to turn on the lights in my garage issue. Mm -hmm. And like right now I don't own the right gear to make that happen. So hoobs might be to the rescue, Mm -hmm. but I think it's like 179 bucks or 169 bucks or something like that. But um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. looks pretty cool yeah 169 right now so just a little ethernet box and i think john i was reading about hoobs it sounds like hoobs in a box is one way to do it but at least on based on my quick reading it seemed like people were able to like install hoobs on their you know, Raspberry Pi or something like that. Like I, I think there's other paths to get to, but I, uh, I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure. The hoops in a box is the, is the E certainly the easy way to go, but, um, but I don't know. So, okay. yeah, seems pretty good. Are you doing anything with HomeKit these days or none of your stuff is HomeKit compatible? Um,
1: yeah, I tried running the home application the other day and the only things that show up are my Apple TV
0: and my Airport Express. So but not everything will just magically show up in HomeKit. Like you you there is an add accessory mm-hmm. path that you have to choose and and like scan the QR code on the accessory cuz like your Eros should show up in HomeKit cuz they Oh are. yeah, I think I yeah, I think I did that on the Eros side as I, Okay.
1: Uh, added it as a HomeKit device,
0: right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, the more I use HomeKit, and the more Apple does with it, I mean, this doesn't sound like any great surprise. The more I like it, the better it gets, right? So, or perhaps in reverse order, the better it gets, and therefore, the more I like it. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I would love a world where HomeKit could manage all of my things. It, it that world, at least for me is nearly impossible to exist at the moment but maybe something like hoobs can get me closer so mm-hmm. all right all right uh, let's see john i i played with a few cool stuffs found this week from our friends at anchor they now uh, have entered the thunderbolt dock market And they have, uh, yeah, they've got two Thunderbolt docks, sort of the flagship one, flagship one, easy for me to say, is their power expand elite 13 in one. And it is, uh, in terms of the amount of ports and sort of how how it works, it's on par with like the OWC one or the CalDigit one, very much of the form factor of the CalDigit one. And requires the same exact amount of power as the CalDigit one, which I thought was interesting. But different power adapters, like they you cannot interchange them. Uh, but it's got uh, a bunch of ports on the front of it, including uh, SD, micro SD, uh, a headphone jack, and a uh, 5 gig USB-A port. What I really like about this one is it's got two... 10 gig USB-C ports on the front of it, which is great. Uh that, you know, with more and more devices supporting 10 gig USB-C, uh, I, you know, that's a good thing. And then there are on the back, there are three more USB A ports, uh, two Thunderbolt ports, so it does support daisy chain pass-through. Uh in addition, power in both directions, 85 watts up to your laptop. 18 Watts out of the other Thunderbolt port for iPhone. And I think one of the, I know one of the USB C ports on the front of it also supports power delivery out. So, you know, it not surprising Anchor kind of looking at the power aspect as much as everything else. The only weird part about this, and it comes with a Thunderbolt three cable, which is key because those are not cheap. It's two 99, but um, the only weird part is it's got a, it's got a power button on it, John. I don't know. Right. Yeah. The look on your face was the same. I felt like, why would I want to turn power off? And I tried it like I wasn't sure if it was turning off like like only power or if it was powering down the device. And it's the latter. When I, I had a, a, you know, drive connected to it and I hit the button and it was like, yep, no, we're we're all done now. Drive went offline. macOS yelled at me. It's like that's huh. don't know why I'd want a power button on here, but. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody can explain it to me. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I've,
1: you know, the other day I had something that normally I have the, um, monoprice, you know, yeah. uh, is my, uh, primary display. And then I have one that I bought a while ago. That's uh high res, but not as high res. Okay. But every now and then the Mac doesn't pick the right screen. It, it, like i was doing a software sure. update and when it, when it restarted it mm. selected my secondary screen as the and it didn't even see mm. um it didn't even see my 4k screen until i pulled the cable out and put it back in then it was like oh yeah hi there
0: there you are i've seen that so, for sure um with with display are you is it display port or is it are you running it hdmi um I am running, yeah, we got a question about this
1: coming up. but um, So both of mine are, uh, so my 4K screen is on HDMI and okay. my other screen is, um, it eventually ends in HDMI, though I have a DisplayPort. Okay. Uh, so I have a DisplayPort to HDMI adapter and I have that screen plugged into my um, OWC
0: dock. Mm, interesting. Okay, so yeah. I guess so the that, answer is I'm HDMI on both eventually. No, your computer thinks your DisplayPort on one and HDMI on the other. I think that's the difference, right? Is that? But but it could be that the translation between the two is is the wonky part, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So in that scenario, being able to turn the dock on and off might cause that chain to, to break and reset. So yeah, okay, mm. all right. I don't know, it just seemed weird, and then they've got um this uh power expand plus seven in one thunderbolt mini dock thunderbolt three mini dock they call it uh it is one ninety nine and uh as you might guess, it has seven ports on it. I do not believe it has a second thunderbolt port in fact i I'm looking at it now it does not, so it's only got the one thunderbolt port, so there's no daisy chaining interestingly. And I haven't tested this because I don't have any devices that are USB-C but not Thunderbolt. But both of these can work with USB-C-only devices. It won't do Thunderbolt pass-through for all the obvious reasons, but it will sort of do that connection for you, which I thought was interesting. So, yeah, nice to see. Like, what's really nice is that there's another sort of, you know, top-tier Thunderbolt three you know the 13 in one sort of let's let's get you everything on your desk dock. Uh, you know we've had owc and we've had CalDigit and now we've got anchor in that in that world which which was the exciting thing to me so pretty good you got a couple of uh you have a cool stuff found john with uh you've got yes, a hardware a and a software
1: yeah yeah yeah. piece of yeah hardware, piece of stuff. so uh so yeah, I got something in the mail, you know, that uh, just happens with us here. And I was like, well, what, what is being sent to me? And I open it up and it's a Logitech Brio webcam, which uh, I believe you have already, Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I had the uh, the 930C, which is a nice camera, but sure. it's, it's 1080p, I think right. is is the best it can do. Whereas this one is a, is a 4k. So um but the uh, technology in this, Dave, um, so they have all sorts of uh, uh, adjustments and uh, um, uh,
0: what, what, what do they call it here? Bright light or something. Well, but, they've got, but anyways, It's got HDR in it. Yeah, and, and you're right. They call it right light. Right light. Yeah, which makes it work really well in low light per, scenarios. Like I, I've always really appreciated the color that, and the clarity that the Brio delivers. I mean, it's their flagship cam- camera, so it's not surprising, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even,
1: so last night I actually was doing some video work with this mm. and the lights were off, Dave. And the picture that I got from this without any external lighting was pretty impressive. Yeah. So I don't know if they cranked up the gain or the exposure or something like that, but it, um. It was a nice picture, and then they, they um, so few things. So one, the connector on the back. So I was looking at the the, the back, and it and yeah. it, and it's like, oh, it's USB C. Why is it USB C? Well, you need some bandwidth to do 4K video. So mm-hmm. it's a USB three. Uh, it shows up on my USB three hub. Sure, um, but you
0: could plug it in USB-A. I mean, you can send that kind of well, the cable USB-A. Yeah, yeah.
1: well, it comes with a USB-C to, to a USB-A cable. Right. So right. um, I suppose I could do a USB-C to USB-C cable totally. if I wanted to. Totally, totally. But, um, but yeah, and then it comes with a couple of, and then I was like, well, how can I get 4K content out of this? So they also offer a couple of pieces of software that I downloaded that uh, I don't think will work with the prior camera. Um, so one is, um, what do they call it? Logi capture Okay, is, uh, some video software you could download for this. And I was actually able to, uh, take some videos. Let me look here. And the resolution is
0: 3840 by 2160, which is pretty good. Hmm. So that's 4k. Um, that's the, that yeah. the 3840 is, is what defines 4k. So yeah. Yeah and go. um and same uh, uh you know i I
1: did a snapshot, and yeah, the picture is thirty eight forty by twenty one sixty yeah and then they also offer now the other thing I was like, oh man, you know, I wonder if I have the latest firmware because they uh their existing uh utility, which is the uh, uh camera settings I think they call it okay there's a an additional, and I don't know if you've messed with it um there's an additional piece of software that I think is used to interact with it and maybe update the firmware call. Mm. Logitech G-Hub. Okay. Um, No, I got to mess with this, huh? Yeah, check that out. So there's a couple of uh, additional pieces of software that um, take advantage of what this camera can do.
0: Interesting. No, I'm I'm really impressed. Yeah, it's great. And it's got, you know, adjustable field of view on it too. So I think you can go from uh, like 65 degrees to 90 degrees or something like that. So, which makes you know, allows you all those options of how much you want to have in and where you want the clarity of the camera to focus and that sort of thing. So,
1: yeah, Yeah, I'm looking right now. And so it's like, that was was a
0: bad idea to look right now because now, now your video is out of sync. Uh, Okay. Yeah. 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 All
1: right. Well, I I quit it. So maybe we'll
0: catch up again. I don't think we will. I think go ahead and uh, restart Chrome would be the, the solution there, my friend reload. Mm hmm. Because when John's video goes out of sync, his audio goes out of sync too. Are you back in sync with us, my friend? Are we? Yes, yes. It's good okay. for whatever reason your audio gets delayed when you whenever you do whatever that right. is. So, so uh, yep. don't run camera utilities well, while we're doing a live show. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's okay.
1: All right, the so That's lying. pretty cool. And then I had something um, DNS related. Okay. Um. So at first I thought it was. Uh, so Twitterific is the client that I use. Okay. And, um, it wasn't loading graphics, um, in a timely manner, either, uh, icons for people or when people posted pictures and stuff, it was not showing them. And I'm like, what, you know, what is it? Maybe it's a cache. Sure. It's always a cache. Right. And there's a feature in it to clear the cache. Well, that wasn't it. That didn't do it. So I'm like, hmm. Well, who else can I blame for this problem? And you know who I can blame? DNS, Dave. <laughs> um, at some point, I had set my DNS to the default for my ISP. And uh, apparently they I guess my ISP, especially with everybody being home and stuff, I, I think their uh, name servers are, are getting slammed. So I'm like, well, you know, let me, um, you know, let me find a, a better performing one. Now in the past, uh, so I'm going to, Say there there is this thing called NameBench, which you can run in a package manager. Don't do that. Okay. (laughs) Something is seriously broken with it because when I ran it this time around, it was just like, oh, I can't find any name servers, public name servers, and your your ping times are horrible. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's find, let's see if we can find a better utility. Okay. And I think there is a better utility, Dave, here. So here's yep. the caveat. Yeah. So um uh, Gibson Research Corporation makes Oh, Steve uh, Gibson, GRC. We love Steve. Exactly. Yeah. And they have a free little app called DNS Benchmark. So that's kind of fun. Uh, here's the problem though, it's Windows. So Ah, okay. So I had to run it under parallels. Now they advertise that you can also run it under wine. Oh, interesting. Wine, the latest wine client that I was able to find doesn't run under Catalina because I think it's 32-bit. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. But,
1: you know, it was no problem running this under Parallels. And then, you know, it gave me a list. And and I think the ones I'm using now, which seem to be okay, are Google, which is 8888. And then 1111 is my my secondary. And uh, that seemed to fix it. Uh, So everything's nice and snappy now.
0: So, so, 8888 is Google, 1111, yeah. 1111, yeah, is uh, Cloudflare, Cloudflare right. normal. 1112 is Cloudflare normal plus malware protection. 1113, mm-hmm. and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but it's, it's all in there, Cloudflare for families thing. But 1113 mm-hmm. is Cloudflare plus malware plus adult content protection, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, I like, I like the fact that they're doing that stuff. That's, you know, I I think that's helpful. So, yeah. So
1: if, uh, yeah, if you're having network performance issues, uh, check your DNS and maybe update the settings there. Yeah. Yeah. Usually your ISP ones should be, and maybe it was just a transient problem. um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and there was there was a problem on Friday afternoon. I, I I don't I forget what time it was with Cloudflare, like in in some but not all uh, geos. So like there were if if you were running like as we do, we use Cloudflare as our our DNS uh, provider here at at Mac Observer and Mac Geekab, and they provide. Like, in addition to DNS, they provide so much more. Like, they're really focused on making the internet as fast and as secure as they can. They're not the only company, but it's nice to see what they're doing. And they'll do a lot of it for free um, for you. So, but we use Cloudflare as our DNS, which meant that I think there was about a 25-minute period on Friday where, uh, you know, let's say, uh, I don't know, there were there were six or eight points of presence that couldn't get to Cloudflare destinations. One of the big ones was San Jose. So you heard a lot about it, but it was like, I mean, we, we looked at the traffic. It was like, yeah, okay. It dipped like a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't like it fell out the bottom. Like Twitter would have had us believe, but you know, Twitter. Well, I mean, especially in the tech industry, there is an overwhelming percentage of people in the, you know, San Francisco Bay area. So it's when, Mm. you know, when something happens to them, it's like, oh, yes, the whole world is down. It's like, well, no, no, but, you Mm -hmm. know, your part of the world is and that's relevant to you. That's fine. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other thing could have been Twitter could have been being hacked or something. I think you may have heard about that recently.
0: Twitter. Yeah, was. It sounds like I don't I didn't dig too deep into it. But from what I understood, there was a bit of a social engineering hack that. Gave someone access to verified accounts on Twitter and that would yeah. be a bit of a problem. And yeah. some high profile. Um, well, most <laughs> high profile accounts are verified, right? Like that's, that was the problem mm-hmm. is, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. And it was like some sort of bit Bitcoin uh, scam mm, or something. Yeah. Donate, donate to this Bitcoin address and I'll match your donation.
1: And, <laughs> and I <laughs> like, mean, wow. that's, yeah, yeah. It was like double your money. It's like, oh, what a great deal. What a yeah, great I think deal. Inside job. Uh, yeah, well, or somebody it, hacked. I think their internal. What did I see? It's like somebody. I think hacked their internal Slack network. Yeah, was able to scrape some data
0: from that. Or, yeah, uh, it, it. Yeah, it's like I it said. It, it. as it was explained to me, it seemed like somebody social engineered their way in there. And but you're right. It could have been an inside job, and then that's a different type of social engineering, the longer game. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, very very interesting. Uh, all right, John, I want to take a minute here and talk about our sponsors for today. If that works for you, my friend. Absolutely. All right. You folks know me. I care about what I listen to. In fact, I, I can kind of be really picky about it. I'm picky about how it sounds. I'm picky about how things fit in my ears. That whole true wireless thing really matters to me. And I have been testing out the new everyday E25 earbuds from our next sponsor, Raycon, here, and I am super blown away. These things are super comfortable. They fit in my ears way better than AirPods or AirPods Pro. I mean, they just, like, I just put them in and boom, they fit. But they come with three different sizes in each of three different types of ear tips that, that you can, you know, interchange. They've got... Silicone, they've got a double flanged one, which I personally love. I'm a huge fan of those flange things because they really get to seal nice and really get in there. Uh, and then they've got a foam one, too, small, medium and large in, in each of those uh, types. So you really can get a good fit for yourself when they're locked in, they provide up to 40 DB of noise rejection. That's even better than the custom fit things I wear on stage, believe it or not. And they sound great. They've got a nice kind of rich, but not overstated low end. They've got a good sparkle on the high end. I've tested them with all of my songs. I have a playlist of things, believe it or not, to test earphones because that way I have a baseline. You've got to check them out. And there's a deal, right? Because, Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash MGG. That's buyraycon.com slash MGG for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash MGG. And our thanks to Raycon for sponsoring this episode. Our next sponsor is Linode no matter what you're doing these days especially with your business you are almost certainly going to need a server now you're going to be the expert of the content that you put on your server it might be that you're a developer and you use the server for development and if that's the case great you can like get right to the command line and all of that but it also might be that you just want to spin up a wordpress site and get things rolling or a minecraft server even for have some fun at home cuz like that's what we're doing these days no worries Their cloud manager over there at Linode takes care of you. You don't ever have to even know what the command line is because they've got all these pre-configured ways of setting up your server. You answer some questions about your passwords and stuff, and then it builds it for you. In either case, you're worried about what you're doing, and Linode is worrying about making sure your server runs smooth and clean all the time. Everything there, even their $5 a month Nanode server, runs on native SSD storage connected to their 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors. This is the place that you want to go, especially because they're so affordable and so flexible. You can just configure what you need and only pay for what you need. And speaking of paying, you, for being a Mac GeekGab listener, get a $20 credit. That's right. Right out of the gate. You don't have to do anything. Other than go to our special link, nothing more, linode.com slash mgg, l i n o d e.com slash mgg. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. These days, you know, it seems like companies are putting CBD in everything. And it can be a good thing. I've talked about on this show before how CBD really changed everything about what was going on with the sort of lingering pain I had with my Bell's palsy a decade plus ago. More recently, it has really, quite frankly, helped me with some of the reentry anxiety that I was feeling with the whole, you know, COVID thing and all of that. If you don't know where to start There's a company in Vermont that's down to earth and doing things differently with CBD. And that is our next sponsor, Sunsoil, S-U-N-S-O-I-L. They make CBD into capsules, into droplets. And the nice part about the droplets, I've got some of those, is they flavor them. I've got cinnamon flavored droplets. They don't taste like the CBD hemp plant at all. They just have this really nice cinnamon flavor. It's great. All their CBD at Sunsoil is USDA certified organic and they keep it simple because most of their products just have two ingredients, coconut oil and hemp. And this is the most affordable CBD I have ever found. I was shocked when I saw the prices. You've got to check out what Sunsoil is doing. All of their stuff is tested. You can scan the QR code on the bottle and it will bring you to a webpage that shows you all the test results to make sure that you know what you're getting. Sunsoil makes pure and simple CBD products at an unbeatable price. And because you're a Mac cab listener, get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash M G G that's S U N S O I L.com slash M G G for 30% off your first order. Our thanks to sunsoil for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, uh, I want to go to Ev, Ev the nerd. In fact, uh, with a tip
2: for us this week, so uh, Ev, let's see if we can have you Hello, take it John away. And Dave. I recently had an interesting problem where I couldn't seem to stream a live video event. This particular event was through Twitch, and I tried three different times, but it didn't end up working. Until I turned on a VPN. As soon as I turned on a VPN, it worked instantly. What was probably going on is that AT and T throttles. Video, And my guess is especially live video. So when I was trying to load my event, it was not working. Now this particular event only streams in 720. So I think with AT&T's unlimited plan, they allow you to stream quote DVD quality with their another quote unlimited service. Even though realistically it's capped at 22 gigs because who can really use DSL speeds for GPS and such? Right. Uh, just to clarify, this is over AT&T cellular with their non-prepaid plans. Just thought I would share what I found.
0: Smart. Wow. I uh, I, I I'm surprised to learn that AT&T isn't doing more. Things like like packet inspection. I mean, I, I guess, I, I guess it would be really hard to know what type of content is being sent over a VPN connection. But, um, but that's interesting. Like, yeah. Did it? I mean, like you know, you would think that there would be a way for them to say, yeah, but this is still video, so we're gonna we're gonna throttle that down. Um, but I guess not. I mean, that's that's what VPNs do, right? It's is they they make it so that No one looking at your stream knows what you're doing other than connecting to a VPN. And we say it all the time. So I don't know. It's interesting.
1: Yeah, I ran into that uh, the other day. Mm. Um, A VPN is a good way to, yeah, mask your traffic. So um, our local, um, one of our local grocery stores offers free Wi-Fi. Okay. But they have some sort of security on it um the reason i know this is because so for example um i like to buy my lottery tickets at this place or use the machine and actually the connecticut lottery has an app that oh. i try to run and sometimes i want to get info on the tickets well if i'm on the uh wifi in the store and i try to load or load the app or run it it'll say unable to load web page why because they have i think it's some cisco security thing in the way So the way to solve that problem is to either run a VPN (laughs) or use my uh, data connection, which I got a lot of data, so that's not a problem, right? (laughs) But
0: yeah, it was uh, you know I'm like, what? Why can't you connect? It works at home. Um, That's crazy. So yeah, they'll sell you the ticket, but they won't let you connect to i mean i'm sure it's just a a blanket filter that they have where it's like okay there's no dating sites no chat sites no gambling no you you know adult stuff exactly right Right. it's yeah i just thought it's funny because yeah yeah, so they had
1: and i think at one point it brought up a page when i when i tried to load it in a web browser and it's like you can't go here because it's gambling i'm like but you guys sell lottery tickets so still gambling okay right yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's I that's fascinating yep it's good all right, cool. I mentioned we had some iCloud syncing stuff to talk about. I actually had it on the list, and then we got Abel's question in, uh, which will sort of walk us through what we had going on. Abel says, uh, "My contacts are not syncing across my devices. What is the Beth me- Beth method?" Hmm, easy for me yeah. to say. Best method to resync contacts with iCloud, uh, of course, without getting caught. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I've been going through this. In fact, it started, my symptoms started when I tried to solve a reminders syncing problem for, or help a listener with a reminders syncing problem, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, something like that. And uh, and so I've been unable until this week to get my reminders to sync from it, amongst any of my devices, right? Like it 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 would, and it all... I think for the reminders, not necessarily for context, but I I think the, the path to, to solution land is the same path, but uh, with reminders, it's very clear to me based on the symptoms I was seeing that it relates back to the change in Apple's whole Caldav and not Caldav infrastructure that started back in the fall, John, with iOS 13 and Catalina, right? Where, Apple, what Apple's Reminders app sees for Reminders is not the same thing that you will see, not the same database that you will see when you connect via CalDAV anymore. You can connect via CalDAV and sync to that, but they are two completely separate things. So it's kind of nice that Apple just leaves that up there, but it's separate and it won't appear in your Reminders app and vice versa. And the part about Reminders That stinks is third parties can't put URLs in them. And I use a lot of reminders that are like, oh, go check this thing once a week. And it's got a URL in it. And if it can't do that, then I don't use it. But, which is why I haven't been using Apple's reminders. um, When I would add a new list in the reminders app, it would add phantom lists from from the old days, John. Yeah. It was like, okay, this stuff's got to go away. And I, I narrowed it down and finally proved that it was coming from iCloud, even though I couldn't see it in iCloud because nothing would sync back up. It was a whole mess. But anyway, uh, I went – I finally gave up. I mean, not gave up. I finally – bullheaded persistence got me to the end of everything I could think to try, so I called Apple. And – uh and explained all this stuff to them and showed them what was going on and showed them, you know, they, they can do screen sharing, as you know, on your Mac, they can also do screen sharing on your iPhone, which I find very interesting um, since I can't, you can't let me screen share from your iPhone, John, which is odd, but Apple can simply ask and give it permission, they give Apple permission and boom, they can see your iPhone, which is kind of cool. Uh, and so, like, although maybe there is a way to screen share from the iPhone, like, a Maybe there's a workaround. We got to think about that. Anyway, uh, stay on track. So the, um, so I I just couldn't get things to sync ever usually. And sometimes they would sync, but not reliably. And that was, you know, between my phone, my uh, iCloud.com slash reminders to see what the cloud was showing my Mac, none of them would do it. And my reminders remind D process would be running at a hundred percent all of the time on my Mac. And so when I was on the phone with Apple, they had me do some stuff. And of course I, you know, I told them everything I'd done, but I would also said, look, I, I can't solve this. So, you know, go like, teach me something. This would be great. I, I, you know, I've tried all these things just so you know, but I'm here willing to learn, like, let's go. And uh, we did talk, I did say to them, I'm, you know, we'll let's go through this. But my gut tells me that, we are not going to be able to solve it and that we're going to need to have you wipe out the reminders portion of my iCloud database. And once I got to a high enough tech, they said that's something we can do for you, but let's try a few other things first to my knowledge. They never did that, Uh, but maybe they did. I don't know. Um, Now for the part that's, I think relevant to any sort of syncing problems with iCloud stuff. Uh, The first thing, make a backup of whatever the data is that you're messing with. So if it's your contacts data, you can make a backup in the contacts app. If it's your reminders data, uh, there is no easy way to back that up that I know of. But I used BusyCal because BusyCal will read that stuff. And then I was able to export it to ICS files so that I had those. Um, But you could look in, uh, I think, library reminders is where some of that data is stored and back that up. But you want to make sure you have a backup for all the obvious reasons. Um, What seemed to have solved this for me is the age old turn it off and turn it on again with some very uh, specific things. And I wound up having to do this a few days later on my MacBook Air to get it to sort of join the party. Uh, And I'll explain what we went through. So what he had me do is he he said, how do you feel about turning off reminders on your Mac? And I'm like, totally fine. He's like, yeah, you're not worried about losing data. I'm like, no, the data that's in here is not relevant to me. I just want it to calm down and stop trying to sync all the time. And he said, great. So we went into iCloud. We turned off reminders on my Mac. And then he said, make sure you wait two minutes. And really what we were waiting for is my Mac to unravel and unwind all of the things that it had. On my MacBook Air, that took 30 minutes. I don't know what kind of data it had but I had not been troubleshooting on my MacBook air over this period of time. I had basically focused on my iMac in the office and my iPhone and, and I had already done the turn it off and turn it on again with those and the reboot and all of that stuff. So I think there was a lot of data that was stored in iCloud that was being pulled down and and not quite processed because when I turned it off on my MacBook air, that remind D process ran for a long time. And so I just waited until it was done. And again, this is another one of those scenarios where it's good to know what you know normal looks like so that you can see, okay, now my Mac is at what I would consider baseline. It's not like none of these sync processes are running. It's just the normal Windows server and things like that, right? So I just did it while we were watching a movie or something uh, at the house and I just let it run. Once it was finished, so two minutes on some of my devices, 20 to 30 minutes on another, uh, re-enable reminders on the Mac again, wait in Apple's parlance, two minutes. Uh, it took probably five minutes. I'll say on my iMac when I was on the phone with Apple, cause we had given up, uh, and, uh, and it took an- another 30 minutes on my MacBook air, but, um, Then I was able to add a new list and I immediately watched it appear in the web interface and it was like, aha, this is working and and then delete the list and, you know, do all those things. But in reminders, adding and removing lists is, is sort of the thing that triggers a more complete sync than just adding and removing reminders. I don't know what that magic is for contacts because I haven't been in the unfortunate scenario that Abel is in where he needs to reset these things, so I can't see any difference between any of these things but in reminders adding and removing lists was the thing that triggered either problems or the evidence of the solution but it's it's definitely watch activity you know turn off the item or items in iCloud although i really would only do one of these at a time so that you know what you're what you're doing and why things are doing what they're doing but i would disable it in the system preferences and then wait and wa- and don't, the, like rebooting isn't going to solve the problem because your computer actually needs to process stuff. So it's not just turn it off, reboot, turn it back on, which works with some other things. This is one of those turn it off and let it finish uh, scenarios. So, uh, and somebody in the chat room is saying something about that with notes. Uh, I'll read that in a minute. Do you have any thoughts on this, John? Um... Uh, then, uh,
1: there was, we, we were talking iCloud a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. I was remembering, I know there's a diagnostic tool for it, but I couldn't remember the name. I I knew it had something to do with clouds. Yes. I thought it was uh, So there, there are a couple of tools here and then I finally found it on one of my machines here. Um, so these may help you in the future, Dave, or anybody that has iCloud problems, but um, uh, our pals at the eclectic light company, uh, uh, or PAL, um, makes uh, has a couple of utilities that can be used to di- diagnose iCloud. One is Cirrus, and that was the name of the cloud that I forgot. Sure. Um, and another is called Bailiff. Um, so Cirrus is just general diagnostics. One thing that it claims to be able to do, though, Dave, is to jumpstart syncing, which um, may be useful for some.
0: I tried messing with this. I immediately, well, not immediately when I saw, when I had the problem again, you know, and I saw it wasn't fixed on my MacBook air. It was like, okay, like this sucks. And, and I, I was like, I know Howard's got to make something like you. I couldn't remember the names of the two things, but I knew they were out there. Mm -hmm. And these seem, I could be reading it wrong, but these seem to only focus on iCloud drive items, not on, the other things in iCloud, which calendars and contacts and reminders are sort of the other things in iCloud. Uh, So I I, seems to be correct. Yeah. So I couldn't, I couldn't find a way with these utilities to see anything about what I was working with, Mm -hmm. but maybe there is, right? I mean, there's gotta be something or there's gotta be a way, even if somebody hasn't like exploited it into an app yet, like Howard has with this Mm. stuff. But yeah, I know that was the only thing I did notice though, that um, while Howard may or may not be able to say publicly that he has a a developer kit of the new Apple Silicon stuff. um, Cirrus 1.9 is available in two different versions. One is called Cirrus 1.9 El Capitan Sierra, high Sierra Mojave and Catalina. And then another is 1.9 U, universal app. For El Capitan, mm-hmm. Sierra, High Sierra, Mojave, Catalina, and Big Sur. Oh, yeah, if, look at that. If you look mm-hmm. at the release notes for 1.9U, it says that it will run natively on either Intel or Apple Silicon, which I thought was pretty Sweet. cool. I know. Yeah, so that it's cool to see that stuff evolving. So, yeah. All right. Um, so, hopefully that helps. I think I'm on the other side of this, although... I still have one thing that won't sync my reminders, John. And again, this is a this is a an academic ex, mostly academic exercise for me right now, because again, I use different things. I use BusyCal for my reminders, but my Apple Watch will not show my iCloud reminders. It won't even show my lists from iCloud. And I wiped my watch and restored it from a backup from my you know from my phone, the kind of the thing that you do. And that did not solve it either. So there is something amiss with my uh with my watch. I, I still have my original watch because I'm I'm using a series five now as my sort of normal one, but I still my OG watch that arrived on release day, April twenty fifth, five years ago or whatever it was, um still runs. And so I could wipe that out and not restore it from a backup. I could just kind of set it up new and see if that'll sync reminders. So I guess that's the next step. But you know. That's how it goes. All right. Yeah. And the other thing,
1: yeah, you mentioned Apple Care. So you you were talking with them. I did. Yeah. Here's just something weird that happened. I think a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't think anything of it. Um, I was, you know, uh, uh, doing stuff on on my MacBook, and all of a sudden, I got a notification. Apple Care would like to screen share, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> wow. How? Now, I don't know if somebody at the
0: cause Apple can remotely, you know, access your machine if that's, you allow them to. It, yeah. But they, but that's exactly what I saw on both my Mac and my phone this week was they, they said, I'm going to send you a screen sharing request. And then that exact thing came up. I wonder why like they hit the button on you. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't think it was, I mean, it looked like a, a, a real notification. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know if somebody typed in the wrong IP address or, or, Uh or something, but it it was
0: kind of weird. Of course I said, no. Sure. It's linked to your iCloud account. Um, because the, the, that's how the guy was like, he's like, which iMac are you on? And, uh, and I told him and he's like, okay, you should see a thing. And I was like, yep, I see a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's fascinating. Okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? I, that's, that's interesting. It is good. I mean, even when you're screen sharing, you get a little drop down in the top of your thing that you can pause it and resume it? So if, if something comes up that you're like, Oh, I don't want you to see this because they tell you, we will be recording our session here, you know, for whatever quality assurance or whatever they're like. So make sure you don't have anything on your screen. You don't want recorded, you know, that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. But I mean that, you know, like good that they, they're very upfront about that. So, um, all right, we have, uh, while we're sort of on the uh, data, your data with Apple uh, thing, we
3: have a question from Steve. So Steve, let's see if this works. Take it away. Hey, guys, quick question. I was listening to, I think Dave was talking about how he backs up his iTunes music library to his Synology. I have a QNAP, um, Thunderbolt, uh, NAS. Um, so Dave or John, just a how how do you split out the, uh, I guess, the iTunes uh, music DRM tracks from tracks that you own or bought through iTunes in the backup process? Do you back them all up? How do you do an incremental backup such that you're just, you know, just not creating a whole bunch of duplicate tracks, that sort of thing? Um, I do like the idea of, you know, maintaining a backup offline of my primary Mac and away from iTunes management and exposing it to my Plex server. So, I understand how to get music into Plexus, that's, that's cool. My struggle is how do I specifically incrementally back up new purchase tracks um, or new ripped tracks from the iTunes, my iTunes library and leaving behind the DRM tracks in case I choose to leave uh, Apple Music and let's say go to Spotify or somewhere else. Right. Great, guys. Uh, do enjoy the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. And uh, as people who are watching the
0: video stream will see, Steve was our first person to send in a video question. So I think you're muted, John. John? Yeah, you're still muted. Wait a minute. You can't hear me because there we are now. Can you hear me? Right. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. the audio,
1: I think our first video question
0: that's what i was just saying yeah so the people on the audio stream heard heard that little hiccup there the people on the video stream yeah i forgot that i've got to mute us when we have a an audio question and i just gotta remember to do that so uh operator error on that but yes steve for those of you watching is the one who sent in our first uh our first video question actually that's not true we have had other people send in video questions in the past we've just never had a, a way to play uh, them so we, we haven't But, uh, but yeah, happy to do that. Of course, of course. All right. Uh, so this is a good question. And the good news is that Apple makes this super easy. Um, you know, for backing things up, I would use something like carbon copy, cloner, chrono sync, super duper. One of those things that's going to take a look at two folders on, you know, two different destinations or two different places, compare, And do your incremental backups so that you're only adding the new things to it. I happen to use carbon copy cloner for this, but you know, any of those other sort of things that are built to do smart syncing uh, and incremental updates would be the magic. Now, the question is, how do you, or the second part of the question is, how do you make sure your Apple music stuff is not part of your, um, you know, your backup because your Plex server isn't going to play your Apple music stuff. Uh, and the good news is Apple makes this super easy in my, on my machine, it's still called my iTunes media folder because uh, it's uh, exists on a external drive and I just haven't renamed it. I haven't had a need to, but it would be your, you know, your, your music files folder or whatever um, in that folder, whatever it is, you will see lots of different folders. Things like podcasts would be in there, voice memos would be in there, uh tones, TV shows, books, all kinds of things. And also a folder called music and a folder called Apple music. So for me backing up to my Plex library, I don't care about the other things. So all I back up is that music subfolder and I make sure not to back up my Apple music subfolder so that all I'm getting are the tracks that are mine and playable on anything that I try to play them on and not drm to be only played inside the music app and and by doing that it has worked flawlessly obviously i I don't have the ability to play apple music tracks you know streamed apple music streamed apple music tracks in my uh, plex environment but that's just how that goes so yeah i think i think that answers the question yeah john hope so good cool <laughs> Cool. Uh, all right. And as you alluded earlier, John, we have a question from Todd about video. He says, I've noticed that when I attach an LCD TV or monitor to my 15 inch, 2017 MacBook pro via an HDMI cable, that the colors look very vibrant, like red is way too red, etc. But if I attach that same monitor via display port, the colors look normal. Uh, similar to what I would see on my MacBook Pro screen. He says, I've tried adjusting in color via the display preferences color tab, but never can seem to get it even close to right. Any ideas? So I don't have a magic answer for this, but I have some thoughts. And of course, if you folks have magic answers, feedback at MacGeekab.com would be the place to go.
1: I heard you say feedback. At macgeekab.com
0: this time, Dave. I'm glad the sound is on because, yes, I said feedback at macgeekab.com. And they don't even need to be magic answers. They just need to be answers or even ideas are totally fine. Um, But what I have seen, and it may be related to this, and it may be even the cause of this, is that depending on the model of your Mac and the way it's connected, you might be getting different refresh rates when you connect via HDMI versus DisplayPort. I know there are some Macs out there that can do 60 Hertz with DisplayPort, but only 30 Hertz with HDMI. I think I have one of those Macs downstairs. Um, And so your TV or your LCD screen or whatever may be responding differently to a 30 Hertz signal versus a 60 Hertz signal. And that may be where the color issues are coming from. I I I'm not certain of this obviously but there's you know it is a whole different thing uh in terms of how it it connects and and sees everything and all of that so that that's that's kind of my my thought on this John do you have any thoughts um <clears throat> one thought um system
1: preferences display color um you may want to look at what display profile is being selected. I've had that for me for a loop sometimes in that I'm like, wow, this looks totally wrong. Why is that? Oh, because it, for whatever reason picked the wrong display profile. Sure. So
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He had said that he, he kind of messed around in there, but, but I mean, for anybody else messing with this problem, that's absolutely a good place to look too. Yeah. And, you know, look on your monitor. Uh, In fact, I would even try connect if you can Connecting to your monitor with DisplayPort and HDMI. And usually when you connect, your monitor will give you some information about what it thinks the connection looks like. And that might be the magic for you here is, um, you know, looking at that and knowing, okay, here's what it's seeing. That, that just might give you a clue as to sort of where to head with, uh, with things. So, yeah. All right, John. Shall we go to Karsten here? Karsten says, I'm preparing to transition to the uh, new iPhone when it comes out, and I'm checking my apps, and I came across the Google Authenticator app. I have 37 sites registered, and if memory serves me, if I clone my old iPhone to another device, the Google Authenticator app is usually empty, and that's if I'm using iMazing. He's like, I don't know about other paths, but certainly He's been through some path where the data inside Google Authenticator, we'll talk about in a minute what Google Authenticator is. Um, he found some research that, that talked about copying things and that sort of thing. Um, he says, but any suggestions about how to sync the 37 two-factor authentication sites I already have to a new device is appreciated. He says, I don't want to put them all in again manually. And so Google Authenticator is a separate app that essentially turns your phone into what's in the industry, I think referred to as a token and you sync up whatever website you're connecting with, with your Google authenticator app, usually by way of a QR code that you scan with the authenticator app with your camera on the screen. And now the Google authenticator app will, you know, every 30 seconds or 60 seconds, whatever it is for that website display for you, a new code. And then that new code it matches what the website's looking for. So you enter your username, your password, then this second factor, AKA the contents of the Google authenticator app are your second factor. And now you can get in the problem with this is the Google authenticator app does not sync its data everywhere, anywhere. That may, may not be a problem in that that makes it more secure, but it also makes it difficult to move past the the device. And and I think the idea is for it to be like those little tokens that you might get from your bank or might have gotten from your bank in the past, the little RSA ID tokens or whatever they are that, you know, like you can't clone them. And if you lose it, well, you got to call your bank and get another one and, you know, reset, resync that with your account. And this is why I stopped using Google Authenticator app, John. And I started using one password for my two factor authentication stuff because it does sync it. Now, that makes that does make it less secure for exactly the reasons we just talked about because when i sync in my google authenticator it's separate but when i sync in one password i've got my username my password and my two-factor authentication code all right there in the same place and it's synced to all my devices so if you get one of my devices and you can log into it and you know my one password one password to unlock everything well you have the keys to the kingdom and, you know, it's that whole continuum between ultimate security and ultimate convenience. And we find our spot and then we live there. So, um, so that's why, in fact, I just had, uh, I won't mention the website, but I had, uh, an account that I use fairly regularly and has important data to me in it. And I wanted to add two factor authentication to it and, that only worked with even a separate app, like wasn't even Google Authenticator, which would have worked with one password. It was a separate app. I can't remember the name of it. And it was like, yeah, no, I don't want my access to that limited to some app I've literally never heard about before. So I'm going to go ahead and and stick with my username and password and just change my password on a semi-regular basis. And for this particular website, I hadn't changed my password since like, you know, before my kids were born. So it was probably a good, a good time to, to refresh that. So, and I did. So now it's on a, a more regular rotation. So I don't know. What do you think, John? Did I get any part of this wrong too? Like you, you have far more specific knowledge about these things than I do.
1: Uh, <clears throat> Everything sounded right. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I was wondering, yeah. So secure ID is the, uh, yeah, the little RSA. It's yeah. Like a temporal based, uh, thing right uh, which i used one day I'm, I'm actually looking here so uh i'm a LastPass type of guy and i was looking and apparently LastPass supports this though i haven't really messed with it though i probably should
0: so you're not doing any 2fa stuff in <clears throat> in last um not at this point no. all right well, probably by the certainly, folks. By the time the show comes out, John will have updated, and it's no no use trying to hack him because he'll already be using two FA on all the things that uh, that you would think to attack him on. So, you're you're, you're safe, John. It's all good. I hope so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that and that's the nice part about like having. I'm sure LastPass works very similarly to the way One Password does it, but it's super convenient to do it all in that one app. Because like it just works and it gets you right through. So, um, yeah, but again, with that convenience comes, you know, some level of reduction in security because now that data is in more than one place. It's two factors authentication, I guess, Mm -hmm. maybe what we call that. So one and a half factors. I don't know. All right. What are we? uh, We have some comments here. Oh, I did want to, I meant to circle back to this. uh, So I will before we go to the next question. Uh, When we were talking about iCloud syncing, Warren had in the live.macgeekup.com had said, I had to restore notes for someone. And every time I restored from an earlier iCloud backup, it would get the notes and then instantly resync the current notes, which got rid of what she needed. I had to go to airplane mode super quickly to get them back. So that's an interesting thing, right? Because iCloud, you can't tell iCloud not to sync and yet retain the copy of the data that it has. But um, if it cannot sync because it doesn't have an internet connection, well, that solves that problem. So that's very interesting, Warren. Yeah. To do that, then back them up, then let it sync and overwrite them and then restore them. And there you go. I like that. That's good. I'm glad we came back to that. That's actually a great little thing. And then about this last one, uh Alan five sixty seven was saying Duo offers their app free and you can do the same thing as Google Authenticator. Uh duo allows you to set up for recovery on another device. So okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Okay, cool. Thank you, everybody. Good stuff. We love the real time feedback. It's um, It's, it's actually made a huge difference to the show. And I mean, I know we've been doing it for what, almost 10 years now or something, but it does help. All right, cool. Uh, Anything more on that, John, before we move on to Gray's question? No. Okay. Gray says, I had a new experience recently, repeated every 30 seconds or so FaceTime calls from two unfamiliar email addresses. When I would reject the call, they would call back. I couldn't figure out how to block a FaceTime call. I considered turning my phone off, but since my computer was also ringing, that wouldn't really have helped. I sent a text reply. Can I call you later? And got a text response. Don't know who this is, but I think you have the wrong number. Kind of ironic, I thought. (laughs) He says, uh, finally, I decided to answer, though that wasn't high on my wish list. It was a couple of young kids who had mistyped a friend's email. Uh, They looked uh, nonplussed to see an old geezer on their screen. I told them I wasn't playing video games tonight, and we all parted ways friendly. Uh, He says, my question is, how does one block email-based FaceTime calls? I can block texts in messages and emails via junk but I couldn't think of a way to stop FaceTime. He says, I mean, what if it was, you know, something undesirable on the other end of that? Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know... Airdrop, those of us that have left airdrop on in, you know, everyone can send to you mode have certainly mm-hmm. experienced in uh, inappropriate things sent to us in, you know, crowded public environments. So I, mean, I guess maybe uh, social distancing is is helping to curb that too. Uh, my original thought, and I, it, it, this is hard to replicate because it's rare that I get a FaceTime call from someone that's not in my contacts list, but – The first thing I would try is to go into phone on your on your iPhone, go into the phone app, go to recents, tap the i next to the inbound caller. And at the bottom of that screen should be block this caller. If that doesn't do it, though, then maybe you have to. Did you have you had some thoughts on this, John? Did you you tried it or. I. So I. I took a different
1: approach. I think yours is correct, but I took a different approach. I'm like, okay. so I ran f- the FaceTime app on my Mac. Okay. And here's the thing that's annoying, is that the way to do this is, is pretty different between Mac OS and iOS. Yeah. I think iOS is the right way to do it. But I was eventually, uh, so when you run FaceTime on the Mac, you'll see two lists. One is the list, and I'm not gonna run it now because I don't wanna screw up the video. <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <clears throat> i learned my lesson um but it shows you two columns one is the list of recent calls and then there's a blocked list um and i was like oh okay so i went to the blocked list and i'm like well let me type in an email address sure uh their interface doesn't let you do that But I was able to eventually get an email address on that list. Okay. But at least on the Mac Mac OS, I had to create a contact with that email address. Then I was able to add it to the blocked list.
0: Okay. So that, yeah, that would be the other way to do it is if you, if, if there is no option to add just a rando email to the block list and the recent callers, then do exactly what you said, create a contact. And, you know, you only need to create one contact called blocked if you want and just add any email addresses oh, in. Right.
1: My.
0: Right. And then if if it's already blocked, well, if the if the entire contact is blocked, then every email address you associate with that contact would just automatically be blocked. So uh, a little bit of setup time. But after that, just like add to Good contacts one. blocked. I don't know.
1: Yeah, because my thought was, well, what a waste of space to, you know, put bogus. Contact info, but yeah, just, just create one and create then, one. Uh, add anybody, the you know, that, keeps bugging you.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I you like could do that. that with text messages and any of the other things, right? Just like name, name, you know, a contact manually blocked and then you're good to go. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. The other thing I learned is that, so I tried to simulate this by FaceTiming myself, but oh. that doesn't send an email. Apparently that keys
0: on your phone number. So. Because you already have the contact like you already have yourself as a contact. I think that's why that would, that would happen. That would, I mean, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Fun though. See, lots of little tips, five new things. We, mm-hmm. we, uh, we guarantee it even. All right. Uh, we do have some time though. So we can go, we have, speaking of time, let's talk about timing of updates of hardware and software and all that stuff. Bill asks, I use Apple's pages and numbers a lot when they're updated, I'm always hesitant to let the app update because they are working just fine for my purposes. And I'm afraid something might break with the update. And I often do not need whatever the new features are. Is this a legitimate concern? Do you always update your apps? So um, the the answers to those questions are not mutually exclusive. I, like they are both, in my opinion, yes, it is a legitimate concern. And yes, I pretty much always update my Apple apps. Um, I've only been burned in a few scenarios and it's been a long time since that has happened, but I read the release notes of everything before I update. That's just cause I'm a nerd, but also cause we do the show and I like to be able to look and see like, is there a thing that we should talk about on the show in the release notes? So um, I don't have automatic updates turned on on any of my devices solely because of that. I like to read the release right. notes, but I I update my stuff probably every day. You know, I I see the updates and it's like, oh, okay, let's go take a look. Um, so if there's something in there that I rely on, then I might be a little more cautious or at the very least I'll let it do the update and then immediately go and test it to make sure that it works in a way that still serves me so that I'm not surprised in some mission critical scenario. Like, ah, you know, you got screwed, (laughs) you know, I don't want that surprise, but, but yeah, I generally stay up to date with Apple's apps, but it's, it's a legitimate concern although I guess I would temper that by saying it hasn't burned me, and I haven't really we haven't really heard about people getting burned by this all that recently, so uh, I, I I don't know it's you know maybe it's a a, a low concern. what do you think John?
1: um I, I,
0: yeah I, do, I I do pretty
1: much what you do is I don't do automatic updates because I want to know what's going down. Sure. Um, but I found at least with Apple apps, they're pretty good. Now you may not know this until you relaunch the app, but, um, the only time this could burn you is that if there's a major, you know, underneath the covers like notes or, uh, you know, reminders, I guess, uh, every now and then they'll change the format of the data. Sure. And that's where you could get burned, but they almost always warn. like, I think, you know, when... When they added features to notes, they were pretty clear saying, Hey, you know, if, if you run me, you're going to have to do a conversion to get these features on all your devices. Right. Right. Okay. I'm going to hold off then.
0: Yeah. So so they usually give you a way to bail. That's true. Like when, with the reminders thing or the notes change, that's right. Yep. They, they like you had, you would have had to be intentionally oblivious to not know that there was some major change about to happen with those things. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of warnings. That's, that's a good point. Yep.
1: Yeah. Because you could, I mean, especially if you have a device that isn't on the latest OS, then that may, you know, like right now, my, um, my iPad, which is very old is running iOS 12 and that's all it's going to be running. Right. Right. It'll never run 13. Well, maybe I could figure a way to do it, but maybe,
0: yeah so yeah yeah fair point yeah yeah good all right well while we're on the uh the update talk we got questions from bart and ben this week that basically both ask the same thing he's bart writes he says i recently inherited a small amount of money and would like to get a new macbook pro but i'm not sure if i should get one now or wait for the new macbook on apple silicon Any advice would be appreciated. I currently have a 2015 MacBook Pro, which is still working well um, and will be, I'll be retiring in a couple of years from teaching high school and thought I would go ahead and get a new computer to last me for the next, say, 10 years. Uh, Yeah, it's a, that's a fair question. And Ben's question was very similar. Like, you know, I'm looking at a new MacBook Pro in the next whatever, you know, somewhere between three and maybe 24 months which is not a weird range anymore 10 years ago that would have seemed crazy but now you know laptops computers in general unless there's some problem with the hardware like in terms of useful service life 10 years seems to be about right at least in terms of the the machines that that we've gotten in the last 10 years so um you know my my advice is is twofold there is the if you need a computer today, buy what you need today and don't worry about tomorrow paradigm, right? Because you can, there will always be something better coming. If if that's not the case, then you probably, like if Apple doesn't ever release anything better, you might want to stop buying Apple, right? Like, th- like th- that would be sort of my, my corollary to that. And we know Apple's got stuff in the pipeline, so not worried about that. But that's sort of the thought process is there's always going to be a better thing. And yes, technology's gonna move forward. If you don't need a computer today, I would wait. Um, because it seems based on sort of the 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 well-informed rumor mill, uh, and also logic, not the app, the 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 thing we do in our our brains, at least we hope we do in our brains, uh that laptops, specifically the MacBook Air, will likely be are good contenders for the first consumer-focused Apple Silicon device. And the reason for that is, you know, there are two platforms of Apple Silicon devices right now. There's the iPhone, well, there's three with the Apple Watch. There's the iPhone, the Apple Watch, and the iPad. And, you know, MacBook Air and iPad are very closely related in size and power and those sorts of things. They do need to put uh, different PCI lanes in there to support Thunderbolt and things like that. It makes sense that the MacBook Air might well be the thing that, uh, you know, that that is the first consumer focused Apple Silicon machine. And we will know that within six months, maybe less. So, you know, the question then becomes, let's say we fast forward six months and uh, and I'm just going to say, and the pandemic's over because I, I, I'll add some wishful thinking into that. But also, you know, Apple's, we know what Apple's device is. It's out. We can order it. We can get it. The question is, do you want to buy the first Apple Silicon Mac? You know, it, what does the landscape look like in terms of that? We've seen Geekbench uh, data points on what, the Mac mini running apple silicon does the one that developers aren't supposed to tell us about but if they run geekbench and geekbench uploads their results in the background anonymously well then we can see them and guess what we can see them and it runs really fast it's like even and remember geekbench would presumably be running in emulation mode or or rosetta 2 mode on those translation mode I should say not emulation um and you know even still it's running faster than uh you know mac mini now so yeah i think these things will be fast i think that will be a very very smooth transition for most of us in terms of what software we can just run without thinking about is it in translation mode is it in you know native mode hopefully we will get more and more native mode as things go on more developers like howard oakley will put that stuff out which is great so like but you want to ask that question. If you're comfortable with the idea, if that Apple Silicon Mac came out today, would you be comfortable running it as your the machine you rely on, your daily driver? And and that answer isn't a universal yes or no, it's different for each of us. I think I'd be pretty comfortable with it to be honest, based on what I do. I can't foresee anything that I'm doing that would be a major problem. Although I'd want to hear more about how like logic runs and like memo live. Cause we do the video with that. Like I would have my questions, but you know, logic's an Apple app. I, I'm not really all that worried about that. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, but ask that question and then maybe that informs your decision. I don't know. M- m- muse for a bit, John speculate. Um, the thought that came to my mind, Dave,
1: is that logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few okay that has nothing to do with this no just popped in my head when you said logic (laughs) i'm like wow i remember that yeah um i would the the only advice i would have especially getting a portable i would uh there were some dark days with the uh i think it was called the butterfly keyboard um
0: may want to skip those um Well, but he's he's talking about buying brand new. So there's no I know there's no more butterfly keyboards to be bought anymore. Oh, I know. No, I was
1: thinking, if you know, one thing to consider is you may want to get a recent refurb.
0: Mm. uh, You know, I see what you're saying. Got it. Because, yeah. um, Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. If you're going to buy Intel for sure, look at a refurb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there's some you want to avoid. Again, right, I mean, I'm thrilled
1: right. with the, uh, the 2019 16-inch. I think it's a, I, a fantastic machine.
0: I think that's generally um, available on refurb now. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, after I bought mine.
0: Right, I mean, that's right. It yeah. happened right after you bought yours. Of course, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah that's how it was. Like, oh, John bought a new one. Okay, yeah. let's, let's, <laughs> let's, just let's unleash Let's stock them. up the refurb that's store. Right. <laughs>
0: um, I...
1: I don't know if I'd want to get the first one out of the gate okay. that uses Apple Silicon. Just, you know, it's a, it's a new thing. I mean, you know, I mean, from what we saw at WWDC, though, I mean, they got it looks like they have all their bases covered as far as it should run most of your stuff. And yeah. from what we've seen on the benchmarks, it seems to run them pretty zippy, you yep. know, because you're going from CISC to Risk, I guess. Right. I was scratching my head over that. I'm like, you know, is the performance? uh, uh, Because the last time they made a switch, they kind of switched from risk to CISC, and some people were concerned. Oh, is the performance? Yeah. uh, What do those terms mean for people scratching their heads over that? So CISC is complex instruction set computing, and risk is reduced instruction set computing. And the theory is that risk is better performing i think yeah
0: you know yeah fair Uh,
1: but uh so i would say yeah i i i would be concerned about getting the first one out of the gate i i I would let other people beta test that
0: yeah yeah fair yeah 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 no that's that that makes perfect sense to me yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, again, there, like I said, there's no universal answer to this. We each have our, you know, our our levels of uh, of of risk <laughs> to, to 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 further confuse things of of risk tolerance, right? Like some of us are just more conservative than others. You tend to be conservative You do technology choices, like you, you know, you don't like to run beta software in a production environment, but many people do. In fact, lots of people are really happy with iOS 14 on their daily drivers right now. I'm not one of those yet, but I see why they are I, running it on that yeah. iPhone SE. It's working great. Y- you know, so w- wherever we are on that thing, will inform that choice and, and you spelled it out perfectly. So for Ben and Barton, and anybody else thinking about this, like ask that question of yourself, you know, am I the type of person that is, is comfortable running, you know, beta software? I think honestly, it running beta software on your daily driver is Far riskier than running a an Apple Silicon Mac as your daily driver because that's not when that comes out. That is not going to be beta, right? Like that Apple will have really tested that because they they can't launch something and have it you know be a mess, mm-hmm. right? So so you know just look at what you're used to now and then compare it to what you perceive as the risk of running risk, and uh, and go from there. So. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, you know, I think, um, I, I think that's going to have to do it for us today, John. We. Um, oh my gosh! I you're I know. A... It's it's, it's, the, it's wow. the time. Time flies when you're having fun. It totally does. I'm having fun. It, it's has been it's a fun. fun one. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I finally gotten you, you like comfortable doing this video thing and and not freaking out when there's problems like we had we actually we had a couple of problems today right like with your video and then with the i had unintentionally muted the audio and like it just rolls i'm 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 in the system now so it's it's mostly good there's a lot to do i will say that it like if i didn't have my pre-flight checklist i would miss things still so it's not it's not ingrained in the fingers but but it's and it's good and i'm reasonably comfortable with the video so, I have a thought about that John uh, I, i'm
1: I'm just concerned uh, but I think I've gotten over this i'm I'm just concerned that a uh you know, I'm gonna do something embarrassing,
0: so well, um. it, that's true of all of us. Um, the uh, the you know, like i I can't even imagine how many times we've picked our noses on the uh, on the show that we are completely unaware of. and and perhaps one of you is keeping count and and you'll you know blackmail us with that with that number, and that'd be great. We, we really look forward to that day. Um, but there was something I wanted to point out when you launch Chrome, because John uses Chrome to connect to me here on Mimo Live, right? Uh, and Mimo Live is the app that we're using. It's TV Studio in a box, right? TV Studio in an app on 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 the Mac. It's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when when you connect initially each week, you come in at like six forty by three sixty, and we mm-hmm. were speculating earlier pre-show, like pre-pre-show, when it was just you and me. That that was because there was something going on CPU wise on your computer, but we didn't really have time to mess with it. Well, it turns out that in the middle of the show, you created time for us to mess with it when you uh, when you had to refresh Chrome, John, because you came mm-hmm. back at either nineteen. You've been floating now for the rest of the show between nineteen twenty by ten eighty and fourteen forty by eight ten. Whereas when you connected that six forty by three sixty, it just keeps you there forever. So, I think. What happens is do you have Chrome's homepage set to be our secret link or do you just like launch Chrome and hit the secret link? I would say launch Chrome, wait 10 seconds, then hit the the secret link because it seems like something's going on with Chrome as it's getting started. That makes it say, "Mm, I don't have the CPU power to like, you know what I mean? Because when you do it, Mm -hmm. like when you did it mid show, it's like it's been super high quality. So,
1: yeah, so it's maybe in the background profiling your system to figure out what resolution should I use.
0: Should I use, yeah, how much can I get away with without, you know, cratering the CPU? Exactly. Yeah, Mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, found that interesting. So I figured. I was going to share it with you, and then it, it just seemed like the appropriate thing to share. I know I saw show. it in the
1: chat room. You're like, "Hey, John's at 1080p." Exactly.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So, because um, yeah. there's no way, as far as I can tell, there's
1: no way for me to tell no. the resolution of my video. I mean, I can see it and take a guess, right?
0: No, it's it's controlled by the the um mm. you know something in either on my end or your end mm. or you know in between. There's a negotiation that right. happens, and it yeah exactly mm. so. You're always thirty frames per second, which really is the important thing, I think. But you know, having mm-hmm. a crisper res- resolution is even better. All right, see, we weren't quite finished, John. We had a couple extra minutes to uh, to geek out on, which is fun. That's why we do the show. We like to geek out, um, and we love that you like to geek out with us. Uh, send us a review. We would love to have your review on uh apple podcasts or really your favorite place to review shows there's lots of them now so we would love it and if it's been more than six months since you've reviewed the show on apple podcasts and i know for some of you it's been like more than six years you can and should go at, well i hate to say should i don't want to tell anybody what to do you can and we would love it if you uh went and uh updated your review because that basically makes it seem like a new review and that's a good thing for uh for the whole little thing so um, so there you go yeah that's we would love that we would also love it if you uh, found it in your heart to visit our sponsors by slash mgg lino.com mgg sunsoil.com mgg and really you can go to macecb.com slash sponsors and see the deals from all the current sponsors, of course, but also even, you know, no longer active sponsors whose deals are still active, uh, which can be, you know, really handy uh, for you. You know, it doesn't really help us in any way, but that that's okay. Like we do this for you. It's a two-way street. It's like if we can do something that helps you, we just happily do it. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So we would love to have you leave us a review. Very much so. We are... Running later than I uh anticipated today. So next week we have a bunch of you folks who are MacGeekab premium supporters to thank by name. And we will do that uh in next week's show. But if you want to learn more about it, MacGeekab.com slash premium is where you go to learn about that. And then once you're on that list, premium at MacGeCab.com is the email address you get to use to write us and ask us your questions, which is fun. So it's good. Uh well I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else, John? Um, no. Okay. All right. Well then, uh, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for uh, for helping out in the live thing and keeping us on track and the real time feedback. Uh, thanks for sharing the show. Tell your friends. We would love to have them join us. The Mac. Yeah, Geek oh, event. I do have something, Dave. You do. What is your something? You got something? us into this. I did. Well, you got us
1: into this. I'm gonna get us out. Okay. And what I'm gonna get us out is to tell everyone don't get caught.
3: not.